Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who played eight years in professional football, seven of them for the Miami Dolphins. He played in three Super Bowls, winning two of them, was selected to three Pro Bowls. He was a member of the only undefeated football team in the history of the game, the 1972 Miami Dolphins. It is always great to welcome the great Eugene Mercury Morris to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Mercury. Uh, thank you, man. How are you? Uh, anytime I get to speak to you, it's always good. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's so interesting to look back in history and, and you look at the way things transpired. Your collegiate career, West Texas State, you were an All-American at tailback in 67 and 68. 67, you finished second in the nation to O.J. Simpson of USA in rushing yards with 1,274. In your record-setting year of 68, you set records for rushing yards in a single game, rushing yards for a single season, rushing yards over a three-year college career, freshman being ineligible, with 3,388. Right. You're featured in an unbelievable Life magazine, and I, I urge people to go out and check this out in this photo shoot with you with, with wings of mercury on your helmet, on your cleats. Yet OJ goes number one overall. You lasted until the third round, 63rd overall. What do you remember most about draft day, and were you surprised at some of the backs that were taken ahead of you? You know what? Back then, nobody was thinking about that part of it because everyone was so isolated because you didn't have the connective tissue of the news media <laughs> or the sport world to uh, to ha- have that type of information. So uh, when I was drafted, uh, I, I finished uh, a ninth in the balloting by the Football Writers Association, College Football Writers Association in 1968. I finished ninth in the balloting for the Heisman. So Juice finished first, obviously. Uh, Juice and I had a, had a rivalry, although we didn't know each other directly. Uh, I remember my junior year, we played in a game in California. Uh, played against a team called San Fernando Valley State. And uh, we beat them in the Rose Bowl. And we played, it was called the Junior Rose Bowl. And there was 50,000 people there. And the place was half empty. <laughs> so... We had a different kind of <laughs> kind of careers coming up, but when I came into the pros uh, with Miami, uh, Miami was a, a, a new team. They had only been in existence for about four or five years since 1966, and George Wilson was the coach at that time. And Wilson was an old holdover from the I think Detroit Lions, where he came from, and he was he was ready to go, and you could tell by the way that we practiced and, and by the goals that he set that he wasn't really interested in the kind of competition that, uh, that would bring about some, some type of circumstance of winning because he was with an expansion team. So when things changed in 1970, when the leagues merged and just that little trivia of history in the 1969, uh, I had an agent who brought me to Super Bowl three in the orange bowl. And I was sitting up in the nosebleed seats, and I remember Joe Namath uh, predicting that uh, they were going to beat the, the, the Colts. And uh, I was actually at that game. Wow. It's uh, Super Bowl three, but nor did I realize, and I saw Shula go down in flames, and nor did I realize 
that uh, three, weeks, three weeks later I would be drafted, and that would be my home field right there in, uh, in Miami. Now, the important part about that transition for sport is that in 1970, the owner of the, the, of the uh, Colts, Rosenblum, he was in the Far East at that time, and uh, he said when he came back that he was going to deal with Don uh, and uh, Don's uh, um, his son, his the guy's son went up to, uh, with Joe Robbie, and the next thing you know, Joe Robbie had negotiated a deal with Shula, and Shula was on his way to Miami to coach in 1970. And uh, when Rosenblum got back, he was so infuriated that he filed a suit against him, yeah. and it ended up being the first time that a first round draft pick was given for uh, a head coach, and that's how Shula came here. And the transition started in 1970 when we had a, a strike the first week of the, of the merger. And so we were two weeks into the, into the season before the strike broke. And Shula, being the, who he was, uh, he had us out there at night, <laughs> uh, the, the first day that the strike broke. There was no lights, no nothing. And... Uh, uh, I, I got kneed in the thigh by a, um, a linebacker named Dale McCullers who came from the Florida State. Now, this is 1970 now. Right. And the, the, the Shula made them practice four times a day. Uh, they said, we, ought to, we, have, we have to catch up. And nobody knew who and what Shula was. And he told everybody from the beginning that you were, you were going to make this team based upon how you perform in practice. And it was, we went from when it was too hot with George Wilson in practice in the summertime, we'd go swimming. With Shula, we never had a drink of water in seven years. <laughs> he kind of set the tone of how uh, it was going to be in that time. And practices were grueling. And these guys were complaining and being out there four times a day, 7 o'clock in the morning with a walkthrough, and then 10.30 in pads, and then back out there again at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in pads, and then another 7.30 walkthrough. And then directly after that, you had to go into a meeting at 8 o'clock, and that lasted until 10.55, and curfew was 11 o'clock. So guys hated to go to sleep because they knew when they woke up, they were going right back over there. But gradually, as we started winning, the whole circumstance started to change. And I was not playing because I would be out for two and a half months. So I watched these guys. And to this day, these guys say, hey, man, do you remember those four days? I go, no, I don't, because fortunately I was in the hospital. <laughs> oh, oh man. For, fortunately. That's humble. You know, and, and we've talked about that so much in sports about culture changes from one coaching regime to the other. And, and what you just described is a major culture change. And, you know, he takes the, the team to the playoffs in the first year, a Super Bowl in season two. And, and this is what I find interesting. The, one of the most fascinating things for me about Don Shula was, you know, anyone else would have looked at, you know, the, the first three years of that franchise not having any winning records. Um, you know, I, I think at that point, the first three years under Wilson, I think you guys were something like 25 games under 500. You know, you go to a Super Bowl, you lose the Super Bowl. The, se- the first thing, the season, the next season, the first thing that Coach Shula does is he brings the team together and makes you watch the film of the Super Bowl loss. So I have a, a couple of questions. First, do you remember the feeling you got watching that film? <laughs> do I remember it? <laughs> I remember it so well, man. I actually wrote it down in a, 
a book that I made uh, about the 72 team. And Shula, when we came back that day, he was, like, glad to see us, and he was pretending, like, oh, hey, I'm glad to see you guys. This is pretty good. We're going to okay, we're gonna go in and look at some film. And, and when we got in there, he started reaming us. And, and this is what I wrote. It says, a chance to redeem ourselves uh, for, for the beating that, my, that administered by the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl VI, an embarrassing performance in the last game of the season. We lost the Super Bowl. Our entire motivation when we came back in 1972 was redemption. Don Shula made us watch that game what seemingly like every day for a week. Coach Shula turned off the rejector and said, Now, you see how sick you feel now? You see how sick and sorry you feel now? Well, just think of how sick and sorry you're going to be if you don't go back and redeem yourselves for what you did last year. Coach, you'll put the performance of the Dolphins in Super Bowl VI on the level of a sin and wow. called for redemption. Shula acknowledged that it was, quote, just as much my fault because I forgot to tell you that you can't be world champions unless you win all three seasons. The regular season, which was 14 games at that time, the playoff season, which was two, and the Super Bowl. So if you play well enough to win, your season will boil down to one game, the championship, and that's the game you've got to win. Wow. That's what he told us. Talk about setting a tone. So when you're watching this film and you're feeling it, obviously so viscerally that you wrote this down and you remember it to this day, looking, yes. looking around the room, what was what? What were the faces like in that room as you guys are watching that loss over again and then over again that first week? Oh, you know, it, it was it, the way that he had done it because we went from from three ten and one team and with no desire to to the playoffs the first year and then the Super Bowl next. So we had that quick transition yeah. from absolute failures to to absolute success with the exception of the fact that he also was not – he had a reputation for not being able to win the, the big, big game, yep. too. So yep. it was just as much on his back. He had lost to the Browns uh, back in the mid-'60s in the NFL championship. Then he had lost to the other Super Bowl in Super Bowl three, And now here he goes. He had, we had lost again uh, against the Cowboys in Super Bowl six. So he had – it was just as much on his back. And there was another – He's in there that he he said a quote. He said, "We know that the, 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 how we feel after that game, we never wanted to feel that way again." And he made sure that that's how we approached the year because after that that, that fiasco was over, and he said, "Now I'm going to walk out of this room, and you guys better figure out how you're going to get this done." And when we were stunned at how he had really come down on us so hard, but then that reflected in the type of way that we had to practice. So we practiced with such a, a, a type of dedication and, and in, in the classroom and doing everything that, that you would do if it were a movie, that we were determined to go back and create a team that would go through the season one by one to get back to that one game because that's where the championship lies. If you can get back to that one game, then you're in the championship. So our home, our thought process then was not about going undefeated. Uh, we just happened to go unbeaten. What we were trying to do was play those 16 games to get back to that one game to redeem ourselves for what had happened then. 
It's unbelievable. And, and with, if you just tuned in, we're speaking to the great Mercury Morris, uh, one of my favorite. I, you know, I love that team. I, there's something about that team, it, so many different characters and, and so much energy on that team. And, you know, we all talk about the undefeated team. But what really, you know, people of a certain age don't realize that this, in fact, you know, to go undefeated is one thing. But people, the underlying notes on this team is what never really gets talked about. That team was number one in offense, number one in defense, number one in special teams, fewest giveaways, most takeaways, least penalized team in the league, scored the most points, gave up the least, broke the rushing record that year, had two 1,000-yard rushers for the first time in NFL history. And on top of all of that, all this happens without their star quarterback, Bob Greasy. They have a quarterback who, who correct me if I'm wrong, Mercury, basically started his career when you were nine years old. Uh, you know, Earl was playing for the Steelers when I was 10. 10. Okay, <laughs> 10 years old. He's the guy who's under center for 11 weeks. And that team really, forget about the record, all those things I said makes that team the perfect team. You know, besides, aside from the redemption, what do you attribute – Obviously, there had to be such an attention to detail to, to to be the most the least penalized team alone takes so much work on, on all the coaches you know offensive side defensive side. What do you attribute how well oiled the machine that team was to also lose the one of the best quarterbacks in the league, replace it with a thirty year thirty eight year old guy on top of it? It was discipline. Uh, he taught us that much. That, that practice is where you win games. And he, he constantly remind us that if he'd see somebody messing up, hey, everything we do out here is for a reason. We do nothing out here just to do it. And so he kind of was, he was, he was the kind of a coach that, that today I don't think that he could, because of the egos of the players today, I don't think that he could have sold the idea the necessity to practice and play the way that we did uh, each and every day in practice to create a game plan that we would go out and execute. So it didn't matter how we play, who we played. It only mattered how we executed because we had no concern about what the other team was, but it was a concern about, about what our responsibilities were with regard to execution in those plays. And so we would take that, that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and create that game plan. And then it would be put out on the field and tested on Sunday to see if what we did on Tuesday and Thursday and Wednesday was sufficient enough to get the job accomplished. And then we simply marched on every week until we got to the place where we needed to be. And I'm going to tell you something. The X factor there is that somewhere, somehow, as he always says, somebody has got to come up and somebody's got to make the big play. Somebody's got to get it done. You know, it's funny. If we score on a kickoff return or get a punt or something like that, it's a great play, and he can draw it up on the board and <laughs> show how these guys blocked and how they kicked around and then how they created the wall. But if another team did it, it's just, what the hell you let them get a cheap touchdown like that for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, one of the other factors that also might prevent that per- level of perfection happening, you mentioned the four days. Uh, the Players Association, certainly. I mean, the guys don't even put on pads you know, that, until much later in the season, you know, in the OTAs and, and right. such. So that, that is another determining even factor. Even right. midweek in between in the weeks. Weeks, right. Yeah. The bye weeks as well. Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the way things were drawn up. 
But it's also interesting is that I think that the backfield of that team complemented each other so well because you could have Larry Zonka just, you know, obviously, you know, dominating the inside, all right? Then you have defenses trying to shut off the inside, and boom, you go in, a pitch to the outside, and these guys are gassed from, from you know, first of all, Larry just pounding them and pounding them, and your speed, on top, even if they weren't gassed, they can't catch you. So what was it about you, Larry Zonka, and Jim Kick that complemented each other so well? Because you don't ever see three running backs get the amount of touches that you guys did and, and you know, put all the egos aside and excel the way you guys did. Well, once again, that was because of the way that we were coached. And, and the way that we were taught of the basics of, of what the game is about, and it's about winning. And he had a strategy that, well, he, he, he made the strategy up because I, I wanted to play, and I went to him after Super Bowl six, and we got in, didn't get to an argument, but it was a testy circumstance uh, because he's, and then he called me up to his office, and the headline uh, back home was Morris talks his way out of Miami. Not that the Dolphins got their ass kicked in Super Bowl six, but Morris talks his way out of Miami. So I was on my way to the Pro Bowl, and at that time I, was, I won the AFC Kick Return Championship. This was 1972. So the, 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 and that was back when it was still a rivalry between the old AFL and the NFL. You know, they had Butkus and Nitschke and Bart Starr and, and these guys on the other side. And, and then on, on our side, we had uh, Leroy Kelly and Floyd Little in the backfield. And, and the, the old AFL rivalry was still existing in that game right there. And uh, I remember when uh, McCafferty was the coach because we beat Baltimore in the uh, AFC Championship. McCafferty was the coach, and uh, the, Leroy Kelly and Floyd Little, they said, hey, young blood, listen, you know, you just stopped playing last week. We haven't been out there in about three months, man. I say, said, we don't want to get hurt, so why don't you go on in there and just play for us? So in the second half, uh, the coach McCaffrey gave me a shot to play, and long story short, I carried the ball five times for 55 yards and set up the three field goals that Jan Stenerud kicked. And Jan was the uh, was the MVP in that game. But he said that uh, you know the more said those the runs that he made, those just set up our scores. And I did all that in the second half. And so then Landry says in the paper, he says, "Geez, I'm glad this kid didn't play against us. He might have made a difference." <laughs> and then that kind of made Don uh, like captain cowtail to what him and then and that's when McCafferty said the same thing. I'm glad I put this kid in. So over the summer he calls me and he says, Listen, I'm gonna give you a chance to play. Uh I'm gonna give you a chance over and see if you can take what what it's necessary for you to be in there, uh not full time with but but just time with Jim. And I said, That's all I want is a chance. So he gave me a chance at that that uh that See preseason. Long story short, I led the team in rushing and scoring, and so that gave me an opportunity to play. And I just want to say this: I love Jim Kick. Jim Kick and I—I I knew I wasn't going to beat Jim Kick out, but my my thing was that if there's something that I can add to this team that will help us win, then that's what I want to do. So Don came up with this strategy called uh, "it's it's run pass pass run." If it's run pass. 
then uh, I'm going to be in the game. If it's pass run, then Jim's going to be in the game. So consequently, I made it my job to average at least five yards a carry, so it would be <laughs> run, run pass majority <laughs> of the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, it was a three-headed monster that you never, you know, it, it had to be so tough to defend against. Lastly, yeah. this. Yeah, and, and you know, let me just let me say this, but also. Back then, you didn't get in the end zone anytime you got ready. Like these guys done with all these teams <laughs> and the twenties of touchdowns. That year, uh, Jim had scored uh, six touchdowns. Uh, Larry scored five touchdowns, and I scored twelve. But those twelve touchdowns led the team, the division, the conference, and the league in in 1972. Because in the end zone was not a place where, you know, you get to show off because they didn't get there that often in a, in a league where we played predominantly living off the run. And, of course, the pass was there, too. But, but that part of it, I thought for myself that the, the, even though that year in 72, we, we had a great team and because we had something to prove to ourselves from a negative standpoint to turn it into a positive standpoint. In other words, to learn from the mistakes that we made in, in competition in 1971 and then to tr- transfer that into 72, we did that with that specific goal in mind. And when we came back after 72, Don said, well, the only way you're going to make yourselves legitimate in terms of being a great team is if you go back and do it again. <laughs> and so we didn't set our sights to go unbeaten, but – we had such a command and control of the offense and a command and control of the defense, and particularly the defense, that if you have – I've seen five touchdown passes thrown in one game, I don't know how many times uh, in, in the course of the years, and particularly in these days. That, that defense we had, they had five touchdown passes against them the whole year. <laughs> the whole yeah. year, five TD passes. Because uh, we were playing against uh, O.J. Simpson, and that was the year they were trying to get juice 2,000 yards. yards. Yep, And he did get 2,000 yards that year, averaged six yards a carry. But I led the league with 6.4 yards per carry yep. on our way to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and, and once we were playing the Bills, and they just kept handing the ball off the juice, and we were beating them. But they, it seemed like they weren't trying to really run. They were just, uh, I mean, win. They were just trying to get juice yards. And our line, defensive linemen, Manny Fernandez, Bonacani, and Anderson, they all started getting pissed off because they said, hey, quit trying to get him yards and play against us. <laughs> Try to beat us. And so now you can't imagine somebody out on the, an offense I mean, a defense complaining because the team's not playing hard enough to beat you. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. We got about two minutes before we have to let you go. And, you know, I wanted to touch on this. This past week, we lost another member of that perfect team, Nick Bonacati, who you just mentioned. Yep. It's so hard to believe that that's the 15th player or coach from that team to pass away. What did Nick mean to that team and, you know, just his presence in that locker room? You know, when Shula first came, he, uh, Nick was here in 69. So Nick came in from the Patriots, the Boston Patriots at that time in 69. And uh, we were a ragtag team. But when we got there in 70, he said, Shula said, you know, nobody's made this team and everybody's going to have to fight. And so it was a, really a fight to see who was going to play. And Nick was the kind of the leader of that, that group of people. He would light you up in practice. And I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't realize that how, 
how he, what Nick brought to it was the making sure that defense saw that this guy was just an average guy, under, under, undersized, underweight, but his tenacity for playing and winning was something that transferred himself to the other players. He was a great player. He was a great team guy. And after he left his career, uh, he did the things also that were consistent with a a great man uh, doing things to help other people. He was always in that light, and we surely miss the guy. And uh, it's it's sad. We're going to try to have a 100-year anniversary this year. If people don't like it when I put in their face that we're the only team in 45 years to do it. How are you going to like it when I say, okay, one year, 100 years in one game, we won, and that means we're the only team in 100 years that can manage that. And that's not an accomplishment that you, that you can duplicate. It's an achievement that should be recognized. Absolutely. And that's what we're trying to get the league to do, to recognize that, hey, give us the shot to say that in these 100 years, there was one team. We didn't establish greatness, but we were the best ever. Unbelievable. I, I, you know what? And all those you know, statistics I mentioned prove it. Mercury, thanks so much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Like I said, I mean, I'm a Jet fan first, and back in then, you know, there were so many great teams, but I, I love watching that Dolphin team, Paul Warfield, you know, you guys and Greasy. It was just a lot of it. Yep. And, and, and Gary Upremian, you know, get, and, you know, I used to go down to Florida in the winter, so always look for Garrow's subs and always love to hear the, <laughs> Mi- always love to hear the Miami Dolphins song on the radio. So thanks so much, Mark. We appreciate it. You got it, man. Have a okay. great night. The great Mercury Mars.